The estate planning team is an Ohio registered investment advisor. The following is for informational purposes only and does not intend to make an offer or solicitation for the sale or purchase of any securities or financial products. Be sure to consult with a qualified financial advice and or tax professional before implementing any strategy discussed herein. You have financial goals and dreams. We can help you achieve them. Welcome to Financial Food for Thought, the show that answers all the questions on how to maximize your lifestyle and preserve your wealth. Good morning, everyone. You found Financial Food for Thought. We got Mark Donnelly and we got Kara Waddell here. Good morning, Kara. Good morning, Mark. Sounds like a spa. It or, is the spa. I, yeah. I thought we we need a little calming, right? Yeah. And or like a doctor's office, some of them. And this is my Janet Yellen music. <laughs> we're gonna listen to Janet here in a minute. Um, long as we're not listening to Biden right now. All right. You're, or anytime. What you're listening to is Financial Food for Thought. And I'm calling today's show, Carrie, Are You in a Dark Room? No. Um, no. And part of that is Fed Chairman Jerome Powell. They were asking him, you know, there's a lot of worry right now about the economy. Mm-hmm. You can be concerned and worried and be, might cause you to be prepared, let's say. And there's a, but no one really knows. It's a combination. Is it the, is it the Delta variant? You know, I talked about the Delta dip on this show. Mm -hmm. You know, could that stall? Remember, we've always said in the beginning that the risk of the Rona is twofold. One is the health risk. And the economic. and, And the second is the economic risk. As a matter of fact, Jerome Powell says it's unclear what the COVID-19 surge means for the economy. And that's when he talks about the dark room, meaning that when you're in a dark room, you have to slow down. You Mm -hmm. have to be more careful walking around. Right. So you don't stub your toe or break your nose. Mm -hmm. And And that's what he's analogizing and saying, this is what we're doing at the Federal Reserve. Okay. We're slowing down because we, we're in a dark room. We don't know. And, of course, another way you could take a dark room is the fear of a dark I room. I was going to say, that's where I was when you asked. I think you need to be cautious, and I think you need to be aware. And I think the argument is if you're worried, that's a reason to be more proactive. Right. And if it's not the Delta variant you're worried about, is it the global geopolitical? Now, we're taping this show because of summer hours we're taping the show on thursday Mm -hmm. so by the time you hear this on saturday i'll have no idea what's going in in afghanistan right Right. all right um but there's a lot of people saying the geopolitical risk is running right the geopolitical policies what about bidenflation Mm -hmm. a lot of people think that's what will you know reverse this uh global this economic recovery Mm -hmm. okay um, consumer confidence is very low right now. Right. Okay, we got data on that this week. Um, how about the Democratic progressive tax agenda? Oh, that's disturbing. Now, that will put me in a dark room. I just try to be positive. But that alone, and our politicians, I think if you focus on them and the direction they're trying to take our country is disturbing. So, and, and that, of course, you know, the question I have for that is, you know, do the benefits of Biden's Build Back Better plan outweigh the burden. What up, people are saying it will bankrupt this country. Mm -hmm. And that's where we have Janet Yellen come in. Okay, because she was doing a, in in Atlanta a couple of weeks ago, she was doing a, a a, a, a synopsis or whatever about the Build Back Better. So what did she have to, remember, you know, 
Carrie, that's, you know, we've always said about Janet Yellen, you know, everyone says that she's always the smartest woman in the room. Right. right? Kind of like Kamala is always the last one in the room. Yeah. Where is Kamala? Her AOC is the dumbest. Let's go back to the smartest woman in the room, Janet Yellen. Remember, she's not yelling, Carrie. Okay. She never does. question is, Carrie, did she sell out? Hmm, I don't know. All right. Possibly. It's also just good economic policy. Taken together, Moody's estimates that these investments will significantly increase GDP over the next decade. That's good. Labor force participation. Okay. And reduce the unemployment rate. All right, there you go. Well, well, well that's kind of... investments will do over the... Okay, that's kind of what the Fed's mandate is, right? You know, control, you know, GD, uh, rising GDP will starve off the threats of inflation, right? Um, and, of course, the unemployment, you know, good full, a full labor force or, or full employment in this country keeps GDP going. So those are, that's the dual mandate of the Federal Reserve, which, of course, Janet was chairman at one point. Now she's on the, you know, White House side as Treasury Secretary, Working, you know, and has to kind of toe the line, right, of the Biden administration. Um, that's her job. But, you know, does she really believe this or is she just, you know, talk? Get longer term. They'll mitigate the economic impacts of climate change and expand America's productive capacity. We will lift the upper limit on how big our economy can grow and how prosperous America can be. I know that there's some debate about all of this. You think? Hmm. You think there's some debate about this, Carrie? I think there's a lot of debate about it. There's a good faith discussion about... I think the good faith discussion is long gone, long past. Yeah. I think we're beyond a good faith discussion right yeah, now when I, I look at the headlines. I was going to say it should have been done before. How much spending is too much? But if we're going to make these investments now is fiscally the most strategic time to make them. She the caved. Of- <laughs> she caved. Well, well no, that she, I, I agree with I her agree there. To when the interest her. rates are zero, that's right. when you do infrastructure. Right, but you don't do the amount of it. There's consequences. There's, you know, they do these mega bills instead of very targeted bills. I agree it was somewhat, but it sounds like she's like, yeah, let's do it. Debt payments is expected to remain I mean, what she's telling there, she's giving a little head wink to Fed Chairman Powell, don't raise interest rates. Mm -hmm. For the longer term, there's a plan to pay for these investments Mm. through a long overdue reformation of the tax code. How are we going to pay for it? Particularly the corporate tax code, Mm? which will make it fairer without touching the vast majority of Americans those who make less than $400,000 a year. Hmm. So my largest concern is not what are the risks if we make these big investments. It is what is the cost if we don't. We've grown used to America as the world's preeminent economic power. But we aren't destined to stay that way. Why not? With these investments, though, I believe we will. There you go. Oh, yeah. No, I. Yeah, she caved. Well, so does she make the case that Mm -hmm. the benefits of Biden's bill back better far outweigh the burden? And I don't know. She said a lot there in that two minutes. Um, We'll see. But in the meantime, it doesn't help you if you're struggling at home worried about the financial when will be the next economic downturn is it happening tomorrow is it happening next year is it happening in the next three years or is it still 20 years away 
And a lot of times what we help our clients say is, you know, if you're concerned about it happening in the near window, especially if you're planning on retiring in that near window, Mm -hmm. or if you're recently retired, or if you've got a major purchase planned, maybe a new house, or maybe even a new automobile, or maybe your kids have a wedding, college education, whatever. How does it affect how you build your financial model to know that even if we do have an economic downturn in the next near window, are you still going to be okay over the long term? So one of the things that a, having a good written formal financial model you know, is that mm-hmm. it provides you a way to look into the future. And it, le- and it puts you into decision-making mode as opposed to not having a way to measure how an economic downturn in the next two to three years would affect how much money or investments, let's say, you have when you're 90 years old. You can't do that type of math in your head. At least I can't. I need the robots to help me do that. Mm-hmm. Um, but so if you can't do that math in your head, a lot of times you read the headlines and, and you make a knee-jerk reaction and say, right. oh, it's over. I can't retire next year. Right. Or I can't buy that new house. Or I can't do that trip to Hawaii. Mm-hmm. Or I can't help my grandchildren, my grandchildren with their college education. Or I won't be able to afford the nursing home. Um, or even health insurance mm-hmm. in retirement. So Especially I've, if you're before 65. So, i.e., I have to keep working or I've got to slash all my discretionary spending. That's a knee-jerk reaction to headlines. A lot of times people say that because they don't know right. that how that impact of all of this is going to affect their long-term financial life, how long it's going to make their money last. Right. That's why the financial model, and sometimes we call that the plan R for recession plan or recovery plan or you or the RONA plan. You, you, you come up with your own acronym but the the idea is you have your plan a which is saying what you think is going to happen or you know your best assumptions and then your plan r may be a worst case scenario right it might be increased inflation over a number of years it may be lower growth rates an increased tax rate an increased maybe um budget for health care expenses um any of those addressing any of those reasons that could trigger the next economic downturn. You know, is it the Delta dip? Is it the global geopolitical? Is it a Biden inflation? Is it the consumer confidence? Is the, is it the democratic progressive tax agenda? You take your pick, but the idea is, okay, how, if that does happen, what would the economic, you know, let's model what the economic, so we'll talk a little about how do you model that and, and what steps you can take to protect you and your family from the next economic downturn. Right. And um, that's what we do with the estate planning team. And that's who sponsors this program, Financial Food for Thought, who's here every Saturday from 9 to 10. We're a financial educational talk program here every weekend. And we're sponsored by the estate planning team, which the estate planning team is an affordable fee-based Ohio registered fiduciary planning firm. And what we do like Mark talked about, is the financial modeling and objective unbiased analysis so people know whether you're someone who's already in or in, in their retirement or somebody who's working and thinking about when I can afford to retire and what does that mean to the spending I can do. And you're worried about these things preventing you from taking action because you don't know what we do is build those models and we can manipulate any value variable in the planning process or any worry that you're concerned. It can be modeled in. And some people who are very worried about it come in and we're like, look, all of these things really doesn't doesn't change any of your spending plans, your retirement plans. Other people, maybe it changes, but doesn't change it as much as they were thinking. And then other people, certainly what they were thinking, because sometimes we have people come in and say, I want to retire then. And these are all the things I want to do. And we're like, "Mm, that's not realistic. You're going to have to work longer or rethink cutting some of that discretionary spending and then also using planning to come into play to create the income you need as tax efficiently as possible. Right. Or clarify those solutions, Carrie. You know, right. you know, it's, it's, well, how much longer do I have to work? 
Right. Can I go to a, can I find an encore career where I'm working part time? Right. Maybe you don't have to work full time. Maybe you could find a job working 30 hours and some employers that people, because we all know employers are dying for good employees that people who maybe weren't before, maybe they're willing to do a scaled back and you get to keep benefits. Right. We've had some of those over the years. Absolutely. Or the idea of, well, Mark, uh, spend less. That's, that's the DIY, you know, do it yourself internet. Spend less. Well, Work more, spend less. How much do I can I spend? I mean, how much less do I need to spend? Okay, can I can I? I, I was planning uh, five thousand a year for travel. Does it have to be four thousand? Does it have to be zero? Does it have mm-hmm. to be two twenty five hundred? Tell me a number. Help me out here. Right. That's what good detail planning does. Right. It gives you clarity, and not only does it save you money because you're creating the income you need as tax efficiently as possible. The estate planning team has been around more than 35 years in the greater Cleveland area, helping people with all kinds of scenarios. We help people who are single, married, second marriages, um, widow, divorce, um, whatever your case may be. Probably we're going to see a similar situation in the past. And we offer free, no obligation, no pressure consultation by phone or in person. If you're concerned and you want help with any of these issues, um, you can give us a call at 440-239-2090 or visit the website at financialfoodforthought.com. If you call the office, we'll give you a call back on Monday morning. And again, that's 440-239-2090. Or you can send an email through our website. Click the consultation. There's a special. There's new le- newsletters. I'll be having the September classes posted there um, shortly. Hopefully, maybe I'll even get it posted if I get some dates before this weekend. So if you're listening to the show, check out the website if you haven't in a while. We've made some changes as well, and that's financialfoodforthought.com. All right. So if you're in a dark room, what financial planning can do is turn some lights on. Mm-hmm. Or so, give you a flashlight. So you're not stumbling. <laughs> <laughs> Better than lighting a candle, Karen. Yeah. Then, you um, then you trip and cause a fire. So. And I know all about that. We, you know, I was one in the, you know, the west side that lost power for, you know, two and a half days. Oh, yeah. With the storms of the week. So, yeah, I know all about candles and flashlights. They're helpful, aren't they? Yeah, a bit. <laughs> um, it's not fun being in a dark room. So let's get you out of the dark room. And the other thing, too, is the other concern that I have is that the self-fulfilling prophecy, right, Carrie? The idea that if if everybody is so worried about something happening, does it happen then? You know, in other words, the stock market's a good example of that, right? If everybody think if consumer you know, consumer confidence, you know, the New York Empire Manufacturing Index, that was a, a downside miss this week. Michigan Consumer Confidence Survey is the lowest since 2011. Um, the retail sales report was came in below. You know, everything was negative, missing expectations. You know, the job, the weekly jobless claim was one that, yeah, came in a little bit, you know, fine, came in better, you know, down to, uh, you know, consistently now under that 350, you know, 400,000 level. Um, but so there were some signs, but again, the, the headlines and the worry, does that then fulfill, you know, it was interesting, Carrie, back in 2020, you know, in the midst of the Rona panic, right? I remember a study, an inquisitive market guru, he had this theory, you know, about the fear, you know, market, the fear factor, right? So he tried to test his theory, um, and what he tried to do was his theory was that so much of the stock market trading is being done by robots, right? You know, the high frequency trade, you know, these, these logarithms that are written in the, and the robots are really running things, right? They're not, it's not a value based approach to investing. It's not the Warren Buffett way to how to invest. It's the idea that, you know, the robots are saying, because this is happening in the world, this is what people are thinking about. I'm going to make a, 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 a movement in the market because I think this is what's going to happen tomorrow or not, not even right. tomorrow. I think this is what's going to happen in the next split second because the robots work at that speed. Right. Um, so he wanted to see if there was some correlation between these S&P 500 activity and the fear factor. Mm-hmm. So what he did was he tracked the Google searches on virus fear. You know, anyone keying in virus fear. Okay. All right. And he laid that graph 
over the S&P 500. Okay. And the correlation couldn't be missed. Oh. Okay. Um, People Google virus fears? I, I'm saying in, when right. the, in the height of the Rona in 2020. Right. Okay. Oh, sure. People were absolutely. I know, but that just seems a weird, like I'd get like information about it, not fears. That's kind of. Well, it, yeah. But yeah, I guess people, you know. Um, now, so his hypothesis, could that be what's happening? Is that part of why the stock market crashed so quickly in, in you know, in that March of 2020 was it was it the robots that were predicting that based on the fear level of Americans that the market was going to crash? Hmm. Self-fulfilling prophecy? Hmm. Could be. I don't know. So how do you react? Do you react that way? Are you making knee-jerk reactions? Um, or are you looking at other ways to data? Um, now... The other thing, too, is, well, so what other data would you look at? Well, what I've been doing and I've been doing on this show this year is saying, let's keep our eyes on corporate earnings. Now, a lot of people are saying earnings doesn't matter anymore. You know, it, 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 if we have Biden inflation, if we've got the Delta dip, if we've got consumer confidence falling off the chart, you know, falling off the cliff. It, it doesn't matter if the corporations are doing well or not. I don't know if I'm in that camp. Right. Because I've looked at the historically that in the years after recessions, if the market held in there, meaning that corporate earnings remain good. Right. And revenues and earnings remain, you know, beating estimates that that proved out to be a quicker recovery than if they weren't. Mm hmm. Um, so that's why we've been playing the earnings game this year, right? And, you know, so we're still getting second quarter earnings, Gary, right? And uh, let's just go. So this week we had the retail. So as yeah. I said, we had a pretty, you know, it wasn't a great retail sales report, right? Um, retail sales declined 1.1% in July, worse than expected, Okay. Um, shoppers in the U.S. cut back their purchases in July even more than expected as worries over the Delta variant of COVID-19 dampened activity and government stimulus dried up. Now, a lot of people think it's more of the government stimulus drying up than right. it is fear of the, of the Delta variant. Right. Um, who knows? But so let's see how. So this week we had the retail, the big retail report. So let's start off Walmart, Gary. Okay. You, I shop at Walmart. You shop at yeah. Walmart? Okay. Um, all right. So you know how to play the earnings game. Did the company beat? Okay. Did they meet or did they miss their target? I've been there on a Saturday. I would say they beat. Okay. So earnings per share came in at $1.78 versus $1.57 expected. They beat there. How about revenue? Revenue was expected to be 137.17 billion, came in at 141.05 billion. Carrie, is that a beat? Yeah. It's a beat. Okay. Um, Walmart earnings tops estimates fueled by strong grocery sales and back to school spending. CEO Doug McMillan said in a news release that the company grabbed more market share in grocery, one of its core businesses. He said it also made progress in new areas, adding thousands of online sellers to its third-party marketplace and nearly doubling advertising sales in Walmart U.S. in the quarter versus a year ago. Um, but the bad news, kind of with Walmart, is that e-commerce sales gains in the U.S. have dropped off significantly, growing at 6% in the second quarter versus 97% a year ago. Well, 90, a year ago, no one was going out to the stores. That's why their e-sales were so high, right, in the, during the shutdown. But now people are going back in, so the e-sales is dropping off. All right, so that's uh, that was part of the, the hit there. Um, but now, was the market happy with their beating earnings? No. Shares closed down, you know, on the news. All right, how about Target? I would say beat. Do you shop at Target? Yeah. Yeah, so do I. Okay, earnings per share was expected $3.49. Came in at three sixty four. We give them, that's a beat. 
Okay. Uh, how about revenue? Revenue came in at $25.16 billion versus the street was looking for $25.08 billion. I'll say that's a meat. Okay. Uh, okay. Um, CEO Brian Cornell said back to school spending is off to a promising start. Um, now, some good news for, you know, well, you know, tar- what is Target doing with their, you know, stimulus money? They're approving a $15 billion stock buyback plan. Um, so uh, what else did he say? Uh, parents are snapping up backpacks, lunchboxes, and school uniforms. I told you, Carrie, retail is looking for a big back-to-school. Yeah, I would think so. Um, said college students, too, have shown eagerness to spend after the pandemic delayed moving out of childhood bedrooms. Um, Target inventories were up $2.5 billion in its latest quarter compared with a year earlier. The company has been buying goods early, you know, cognizant of port delays, heightened transportation costs, and other shipping constraints, and have sparked concerns that the items could quickly sell out. We'll be ready for the holidays, Cornell said in an interview. Okay, we have a lot of inventory flowing our way right now. Okay, how did the market treat them? Really? Shares fell 1.4% in pre-market trading. See, the wall of worry. Right, there's some disconnect a little bit. Okay, how about Home Depot? I would say they beat. Okay, earnings per share came in at $4.53 versus $4.44. Oh. Is that a... We'll give that a meet. Right. Is that a beat? No, I, isn't that a miss? No, four fifty three. Um, expected four forty four. Oh, I was doing it for okay. Because I was like, Home Depot's busy too. I mean, they talk about okay. people renovating and doing things themselves. So and... revenue came in at forty one point one two billion versus expected forty point seven nine billion. Again, we'll give them a meet. Uh, CEO Craig Minar. Uh, I'm not sure how you pronounce it. Craig. Any? <laughs> M-E-N-E-A-R. I'm gonna, um, said that uh, while consumers are returning to pre-pandemic activities outside their homes, the company still sees people engage in house improvement projects and increasingly larger products. Sales from the professional customer, though, outpace those of the DIY customer for the second quarter in a row. So here's what's happening here. Um, so Home Depot fell short of expectations for same-store sales in the fiscal second quarter as some customers' appetite to do-it-yourself projects faded. The company said fewer customers visited its stores during the fiscal second quarter as pandemic-fueled do-it-yourself projects tapered off. Shares tumbled nearly 5% on the news. Another one. Okay. Um, so they're not, again, remember, so it's not only did they beat, it's also they're looking, well, what are they, what forward guidance you know, are, they, are they giving? Um, see, the problem with Home Depot carriers, they have yet to provide an outlook for the full year. Okay, so one more, Carrie. Then we uh, okay. How about Lowe's? Let's look at a Home Depot competitor. I, would, I was going to say that parking lot's busy too. These are all places I go, so um, and okay. they're busy. Earnings per share came in at four dollars and twenty five cents versus four oh one expected. I'll give that a beat. Okay, um, revenue came in at twenty seven point five seven billion versus twenty six point eight five billion. I'll, I'll give that a beat. Um, okay, CEO Marvin Ellison said demand for kitchen, bath, flooring, and appliances remains strong. Um, but the home improvement retailer has noticed a shift in its business. He said more customers are shopping on weekdays as they spend weekends and vacations at parks and social events again. Okay. Um, now, here's where, how, why did Lowe's do a little better than Home Depot? Well, this may be the reason Lowe's has historically drawn more of its business from do-it-yourself customers, but is trying to attract home professionals with a new loyalty program and other perks. So about 20-25% of its total sales have come from contractors, electricians, okay. and plumbers, and other pros versus about 40% at the rival Home Depot. See, so they're, you know, um, so they're trying to, you know, break into that market. Um you know, Lowe's also said it plans to buy back at least $9 billion of its own stock. Um, so how do you think Wall Street handled that news? Well, it's interesting because Home Depot announced first. Right. And I think Lowe's did it the day after. Okay. So on the day that Home Depot announced and their shares fell, so did Lowe's. 
Hmm. So, um, you know, so Lowe's shares were down 5.8% after the Home Depot release. Oh, so maybe people panicked. And Lowe's came out the next day with a better than Home Depot numbers, and it rallied 4.3%. See, that's the See, the the, the emotional That's the robots. That's the, you know, that's what's going on. So that's what you have to be careful about. And that's hard to predict or... You know, I hear you tell people all the time, even though we don't do investments, you tell our client, you cannot time the market. You know, you have to look at the big picture, the long game, and know how much risk you can really take on to be okay and don't take on more risk than necessary. That's what we do in the piece of the planning. And most of our clients um, either have an investment advisor already um, or they do the investments on their own. And that's okay. What we do is very different and we play a different role of that traditional financial planner number cruncher that provides you unbiased objective advice for the planning. We have both hourly um, options for people who need a little bit of help and comprehensive retainers that people want help through the entire process, including implementation. And whether you're working or retired, we offer that free consultation by phone or in person to see if you can benefit from our services. You can call 440-239-2090 or visit financialfoodforthought.com. All right, you listen to Mark Downey and Kara Waddell, and we're the co-owners of the estate planning team. The estate planning team has been helping Cleveland families for over 35 years, building custom financial plans. And over those decades, we certainly have read a lot of negative headlines, Carrie, right? And I read a lot this week. Mm -hmm. Here we go. A stock market correction may be right around the corner. I really get anxious money-wise because I don't know whether things are going to shut down again. Wall Street investors are worrying like it's April 2020. The evidence is clear. Democrats are pushing America towards economic disaster. America's economic recovery is already stalling, but Biden is trying to buy a second win. Do you worry about a looming market correction? Here's what the experts say. The next final crisis is coming. Here's another sign. The bull market is near a peak, and this one bears watching. The canary in the coal mine shows a 10% S&P correction is getting closer Play defense, says strategists. Grocery store billionaire says October 2021 surprise is coming to the U.S. economy and financial markets. America's collapse in consumer confidence is panic-induced and supports an everything rally in the stock market. So that's one who's saying, buy on the bad news. Right. Well, there's opportunity. So that's a right? Maybe a Roth conversion if the market's down. Here's another one. Here's on the, you know, the ultimate bull case for the stock market. It keeps making new highs. So, you know, um, but here's back to negative. Why the S&P 500 could be headed for an imminent 7% decline. All right. The S&P 500 is due to a 10% correction and will slump for the next few quarters as tapering, taxes, and slow earnings growth weighs on returns. The market tumbles. Is this the next crash Susie Orman warned about? I, I could go on and on and on. I minimize my headline time because it's all depressing. It's all negative. So, you know, do you get caught up in the headlines? Because that will put you in a very dark room. And the thing of it is, is it comes down. uh, How does this all affect you is the bottom line. Should you be worried? How do you know if I really need to be worried about something? Right. So let's talk about that. All right. So the first thing is. What are some steps you can take that will protect you and your family from the next economic downturn? Mm -hmm. All right. So one, we always remind and coach our clients, you've got to maintain an adequate cash reserve. Now, there's different names for that. Some people call it emergency funds. Some people call it a rainy day fund. You know, it's whatever. It's, It's just the idea that do you have enough cash on hand to cover your spending gap? Now, you, you, you can, you, there's maybe two ways you can look at this. The, the old DIY always talks, assume that you're still working, right? Mm-hmm. And so it's that old general rule, Carrie, you've heard it a million times. Oh, you keep six months of your take-home pay, right? Because the idea is if you lose your job, that's, right. you know, that's what you need to protect yourself. I think that's just a easy rule of thumb that's not necessarily 
accurate for a lot of people. And, you know, and some say you need 12 months. Well, depending on what your salary is, it may be very difficult with today's interest rates to keep 12 months of your take-home pay in cash, earning nothing. Mm -hmm. All right. That's why some people say, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to have a home equity line of credit available to me, and that's my cash emergency. Because mm-hmm. I'd rather not tie up that much cash earning nothing. And if I do have an emergency, I will borrow on my home equity line of credit at, at these low interest rates, mm-hmm. and I'll still be better off. Right. All right. Because um, I think that my money invested you know, can at least do better than what the interest rate is on my whole American line of credit. Mm-hmm. See, I'm not in, in and, and there's some credence to that. I'm not necessarily in the Dave Ramsey camp that says you never, ever, 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 ever have debt. Right. Right. Um, now, I do say it's up to my clients whether they want to use debt or not right. in their plan. My role, I feel, as a professional is just make sure if they're using debt that they can service their debt. Right. And not, you know, not get into those crazy situations where you're borrowing on one credit card to pay off the minimum due on another credit card. Yeah, that's an issue. All right. Um, Now, but it's different. That's not really what I want to talk about. What about when you're retired? Because when you're retired, you have no wages. So how does that rule even help you in retirement to say that you need six months to take home pay? Because are you really, let's say you're getting a pension in retirement. Are you worried that your pension's going to go away? I don't know. Um, let's say you're just collecting Social Security. Are you worried that Social Security's going to go away? I don't know. No. So but, I, don't, I don't know if you go that, use that same methodology. No, because maybe you're taking money from assets, whether it's fixed or growth positions, to make up the shortfall in the income which then that rule of thumb makes no sense. Right. So in, instead, you may say, well, I want enough. I want my cash reserve to cover my retirement spending gap. Right. Okay. Which is the idea. And what's the spending gap? Well, that would be the difference in what you really think your out-of-pocket expenses are going to be. Versus your income. Versus your fixed retirement income. The Social Security, the pension, if you've annuitized an annuity. Right, and created one of those you know, income streams, a self-pension. So you'd say, okay, the difference is the gap, and that's what I have to pull from my investments or my cash reserve. And the idea is what you want to prevent yourself from doing is pro, is not having to pull from your sell off your your market positions if we're in the middle of a market crash. Mm-hmm. Remember, you're supposed to buy low and sell high, not the reverse. All right. So the idea of having an adequate cash reserve to cover your spending gap is that if we are having a, an economic downturn and you wish not to sell your stocks when they are low. You can have the flexibility to say, I've got, I can rely on my cash reserve. And then that'll give me time for my stocks to come back in the recovery. Mm-hmm. And in the meantime, I'm still collecting the dividends or the interest. So I sometimes, you know, we hear a lot as, as, as a wall of worry is people think about gold, Carrie, right? And, mm-hmm. um, you know, should I buy gold? Because the world's ending. Well, the problem I have with gold is that it doesn't pay interest or dividends. Right. It's just. And and that's a big drawback, in my opinion. Um, now. So, all right. And how liquid is it, really? Are you going to take your, you know, gold coins or your gold bar, go down and fill up your gas tank? Um, I don't think so. Because well, there won't be gas, right? That's right. Whoa. Some people, Yeah. <laughs> Or the gas will be so expensive, you won't be. You won't no, because everything's going to be electric. Oh, that's true. <laughs> yeah, um, all right. Okay, a second step you can do is rebalance periodically, and 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 this is the idea that don't take on more risk than what you really need to be okay. Mm-hmm. All right, um, and this is what and and. If you're using a professional investment advisor, chances are they are doing this for you. Mm-hmm. As a matter of fact, it's one of the things we like about professional investment advisors right. is because they have the discipline to do this. Mm-hmm. A lot of people doing it at home don't because they fall in love with their you know double-digit returns in the market. 
or they've completely fallen in love with their own company stock. Right. And they, they, they'll never, ever sell it. Oh, and you know what? That's a dangerous too. Yeah, I, I don't, yeah. We've had stories over the years. So, but rebalancing is a way to protect yourself from the next economic downturn. Mm-hmm. You know, and how are you doing it? So let's say, you know, you're trying to have an overall allocation 60-40, which is a very popular one, right? Right. Or maybe you want to be a little more conservative and using 50-50. Well, what's happening in the recent years is that interest rates or the fixed side of that equation is relatively low, right? Because interest rates are so low. So what you are getting historically from the bond market or CDs or these other fixed items isn't what you're getting today. Mm -hmm. So the low interest rates are dragging your fixed side allocation down. In the meantime, we've had double digit growth in the markets for the last couple of years back to back. So you may be out of whack. You may, you know, you might have been 60, 40, three years ago, but you might not be 60, 40 today. You may Mm -hmm. be closer to 70, 30. Or if you're planning on being 50-50, you may be closer to 60-40. See, in other words, you're, you're, and, and with that higher, you're getting out of balance, you're getting more equity, and that's more risk. Mm-hmm. Right? So the idea of rebalancing is back to what you're supposed to do, sell high. So if you if if because you're out of whack because of great market returns, well maybe it's time to lock in some of those gains. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, now again, you got to be careful. If that's in an IRA, you don't have to worry about taxes. If that's in a taxable account, you do. So this is where the coordination advisors comes in. Right. Uh, and a good example, I guess, Carrie, is um, it, you know the idea of. Um, you know, we, we learned that that was a big problem in the lost decade where recent retirees were taking on a lot more risk than what they needed to be okay. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, so I remember this was back in, uh, 1999 or, or no, it, well, no, it, it, remember <laughs> the irrational exuberance in 1999. Right. So I had somebody come in a prospect. Come in, made, a, made an appointment to come in for free consultation. And it was sometime in, uh, you know, it, it was a couple of years into the, you know, that stock, you know, crash, mm-hmm. in, you know, in March of 2000, when we had the tech bubble burst. And this was his story. I'm just rounding off the numbers to make it easy on, on, the, on the radio. But basically, this is a story he laid out for me at this initial consultation. And he said, well, what happened was back in, you know, he was... He participated in that great bull run of the tech investments. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, and his 401k got to the magic number. Okay. The million dollars. Million. Okay. And he said, boom, I can retire. Okay. Because what he was saying was, you know, if I can, you know, do, um, if I can retire with a million dollars, that will provide me with enough that, uh, you know, that I can just live off the earnings of that million right. dollar. And in his mind, he was using a 10% rate of return, which he thought at the time was very conservative because he had been getting 24, 25% in, the, in that tech bubble. Right. All right. So he thought 10% was conservative. Right. right. So he's thinking 10% of a million, that's a hundred grand. That along with my social security, I'm golden. And I still got my million dollars. Because if I'm really growing at 25% and only take out 10, I'm doing really well in my retirement. Mm-hmm. All right. So he retired, but this is the problem. His 401k, he, he, you know, he decided to roll it, he, he, you know, to a, his own IRA. All right. Now, when he was interviewing, IRA investment advisors, custo- you know, custodians. So he, he found one he liked. And, and basically, so in that discussion, this is when he's telling me the story that when the investment advisor asked him, well, what do you want to invest it in? Mm-hmm. He, he came back and, and told the investment advisor, hey, look at the tax have been very, very, very good to me. Mm-hmm. Keep that going. Okay. So how much of his million dollars went into tax stocks? One hundred percent. All right. Um, now, but he also told the investment advisor, "Hey, by the way, I don't got one of those pensions, 
So this million dollars, I got to create my, you know, retirement living. Investment advisor, of course, tell them, no problem, sir, right? <laughs> no yeah. problem at all. How much do you want? We do a systematic. Systematic, yeah, we can do that. How much you want? Now, here's where the investor made a mistake. Because in his mind, he was thinking a 10% withdrawal. Right. What he told the investment advisor is, I want $25,000 per quarter. Okay, 100000 a year. Not 10% of the balance. Right. It's going to go through pretty quick. A hundred thousand. I'm assuming no growth. That's what, 10 years? But he's saying at the 10%. He didn't tell him 10%. He said $25,000 a quarter. Ooh. That's going to go through a lot. different than saying 10% of the balance. Right. Because every year it's going to go down even with growth. All right. Now, so the investment advisor, of course, said no problem. So that's what happened in that first year. He started getting the $25,000 out, but in that first year, he had a 20% loss. Okay. All right. So now at the, so you, you take the 100000 that's another 900000 20% loss on that's another 180000 So at the end of the year one, the balance now in his IRA is 720000 Okay. Oh. Now we go into year two. So how much is his withdrawal in year two? Hundred thousand. Hundred thousand. Because he said twenty-five thousand a quarter. Not ten percent of seven hundred twenty. Ooh. Hundred thousand. Okay. So now you got seven twenty less a hundred. That's down to six twenty. In the second year, he had a ten percent loss. So now at the end of year two, his IRA is five hundred fifty-eight thousand. Almost half. Not quite. Now, how much is coming out in year three? A hundred thousand. A hundred thousand. Now, now, now it's no longer 10% of the balance. Mm-hmm. It's about 18% of the balance. That's a Do big difference. Do you see a problem here? Yeah. So now he's in my office. Right. Because he had, I remember this, he had a free consultation, said, no, I'm just going to go with the investment advisor. I don't need help. Then he came back. So now, so, so now he's laying this out to me. And what do you think I'm thinking right now? Well, I'll leave that up to your own right. imagination. Right. Okay. But he, he said, I, I, I just listened. I said, hmm, okay. And so his first question is, well, Mark, so I, so well, I, I kind of said, well, how would you like me to help you? Right. Because I'm like saying, I don't think he's going to like what I'm telling him. Right. Um, and he said, well, Mark, I want you to tell me what stocks I should buy to get my money back. Oh, if you knew that. <laughs> I'm like, he hasn't learned the lesson yet. I'm saying, you know, I, I kind of said, well, do you understand you may never come back? He's like, what do you mean? Just tell me what stocks are going to, you know, I want those stocks that, you know, return the 25% next year. Don't we all? <laughs> I was going to say, you have I, a magic wand. It's like, well, I, I don't have that list of right. stocks. That's not what I do here at the mm-hmm. estate planning team. And he's like, oh. I said, well, what else would you like me to do? And he said, well, well, then help me sue my investment advisor. And I'm like, well, what exactly grounds do you think you've got a case? Because you kind of told me you're the one that told him you wanted tech stocks. And you're the one who told him yeah. 100% of that 401k in stocks. Right. And you're the one who told him 100000 not some percentage of the balance. What exactly did he do that was against what you told him to do? Mm, nothing. And, and I, I said, if you are going to sue, get in line. Right. Because there's a few others ahead of you that maybe have even better cases than you do. Go, and, and by the way, those, IR, you know, those, custod- those investment advisor custodians, they got some deep pro- pockets. And I bet along the way you signed a lot of you know, disclaimers. Disclosures? Disclosures. All right. That you understood? So he said, well, what should I do then? Now, what do you think I'm thinking? We need to regroup and figure out what you need for spending. You're going back to work. Right. I was going to say and regroup and really figure out what they need. Rethink about their expenses. Because my quick, if you want a quick answer, I would say go back. If you want to maintain that lifestyle... You, you ain't going to be able to do it at this point. Right. So I'm thinking you're going, you're asking about an encore career. Well, he didn't like that answer. Right. Or cut expenses. And he did not become a client. Right. So I don't know what the outcome there was. Um, 
But that's that's a good example of saying, all right, you you don't take on more risk. And the sad part to be okay, because the sad part is he might have been okay if he went with a 50-50 or a 60-40 portfolio. Mm -hmm. He might have not had to be going back to work. Right. And he might have been able to maintain that lifestyle Mm -hmm. for his lifetime. But not when you have the sequence of returns, the big market drops right in the beginning when you're taking your withdrawal, creating your self-pension. All right. The third step you can do. So remember, steps to protect yourself from the next economic downturn. One was maintain an adequate cash reserve. Two, rebounce periodically. Don't take on more risk than what you need right. to be okay. And the third one is build your plan R mm-hmm. to see if we do have an economic downturn, does that jeopardize the longevity of my financial plan? And then you know by having that plan R, if it is going to impact what are options to adjust? Because it didn't always just earn income. Maybe, yeah, you need a part-time job or maybe you want to cut this, but you can figure out how to how to make those small adjustments so you're not panicked and do something that's actually going to create more problems. So one way you can build in an economic downturn. So, Carol, we have a couple minutes left, so let me try to give you an example of that. And we'll stay on this topic, you know, for uh, at least next week. But the idea is saying, okay... Let's say you're in that 60-40 portfolio, right? And let's say you think you're conservatively, that's good to get a 6% rate of return, even in today's markets, in today's lower interest rates, right? And by the way, um, you know, historically, the 60-40 has done a lot better than that. You know, um, you know, even in the lost decade, you know, that 1999 to 2008, the 60-40 portfolio did 1.68% annualized, you know, um, so... And then, and of course, in the in the recent you know, fifteen years, um, you know, ending in 12, 2020, um, it's annualized about seven point two six percent. All right. So, but how would you economic? Okay. So normally you're saying, let's say you think there's going to be a correction, ten percent correction. So if you think there's the market's going to be down ten, you've got sixty percent of your money in the market. You're going to be down six percent. So for that year in your model, you 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 assume a six percent loss, not a six percent return, and then you say maybe we're going to have a quick recovery. So maybe the second year you're not going to be right back up to your six percent. Maybe you're only half that at three percent. So now and then the third year you're back to six. Or you might what if you think there's going to be a crash? Let's say a twenty five percent decline in the market. Okay, now you're sixty percent. You're going to be down fifteen percent. So you pick a 15% loss in year one. Then you say, assume maybe zero in year two, then maybe a longer recovery, 3% in year three, and then maybe by year four, back to 6%. That's the idea to say, okay, now if I build that in, do I still going to be okay? All right. Call the estate planning team at 440-239-2090 or visit financialfoodforthought.com. Tune in next week for more Financial Food for Thought. For more information about the show, for estate planning or upcoming seminars, call the estate planning team at 440-239-2090. Thanks for listening.